Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Courtside with Joe Morelli. Joe Morelli, the head high school basketball beat writer for GameTimeCP.com and the Hearth Connecticut Media Group. Coming up a little later on the podcast, we're going to have the great Scott Burrell of Hamden High School and UConn and currently the head basketball coach at Southern Connecticut State University. And, uh, well, looking back, it's kind of a busy week in the in the top ten. You know, you had that epic matchup, East Lyme uh, hosting uh, Waterford at home, a, an overtime game, a, a great matchup, and then East Lyme turns around and they, they lose. <laughs> lose to uh to Enfield so you know I feel like we're, we're starting to get into it a little bit more I feel like the season's really starting to ramp up you know Christmas is over uh New Year's is over we're we're a few weeks now into January we're at the midpoint of the season and and you know you can just kind of feel it right now uh, everything ramping up so uh, you know we're really excited for the, for the show this week and we're looking forward to talking to Scott Burrell so without further ado here's your host with the most Joe Morelli how you doing Joe Good morning, Sean. Uh, I actually think we have a fine top ten. I mean, obviously, now that we're in the, at the flag part, at the mid to a point of the season, I think, like I have said all along, your top three is Sacred Heart, East Catholic, and actually, Windsor dropped to number five after losing Ramapo. Their second loss, both out of state. So they came on number five this week. But Bassick at number three, their name West Haven, number four. All the three of the top four undefeated. Sacred Heart's only loss, again, also out of state. Um, so nobody's lost to a state team in among the top five. I mean, Hill House, I mean, excuse me, Windsor beat Hill House on Monday at its own tournament. In the game before it was the game you spoke about where East Lime lost to Enfield. That was a, a surprise. Uh, I think maybe coming off an emotional game, overtime at home against your rival, give me give him a pass. I am curious how East Lime reacts against Glastonbury tonight. They lose again, then then they maybe they drop out of the top ten. Uh, West uh, Trumbull uh, in at eight um, has West Hill this week. Uh, I would assume that wouldn't be a problem. Uh, Waterford beat Woodstock Academy last night. They're at number seven. They have NFA on Friday. Interesting game. Newtown's been a big surprise. I mean, people, some people pegged them as the favorite in the Southwest Conference. I don't think they had them undefeated, eleven to zero at this point. They hammered Brookfield, and they got Stratford uh, on the road on Thursday night. So uh, as they start to play the big boys, we're going to see how good they really are. But obviously, they're good enough to win. Uh, East Harper's not ranked. They're just out on the outside looking in. They lost 
badly. I might add to Springfield Central on Monday night up at uh, the tournament. But, again, an out-of-state game, I don't put a lot of emphasis on it, but that's their fourth loss. So, And their three losses are to Bassick, to Windsor, and to East Catholic. So you know East Hartford's good. Um, Manchester uh, was back at number 10 this week, uh, despite losing to East Hartford last week. Immaculate beat Notre Dame by Fairfield. Seems like everybody's <laughs> everybody's beating on New Notre Dame by Fairfield this year. Um, in fact, one of their players that didn't play last year, Chuck Clemens, um, transferred to St. Luke's and obviously had a big impact in the game, a big steal late in the game uh, yesterday to help beat, win at Hamden Hall, a big win for them in the Fairchester League. <coughs> Excuse me. Cromwell still undefeated. They beat HK. And as I said, Immaculate. So, like I said, the cream has risen to the top. We're going to find out how good a lot of these teams are as we go along. I mean, the with a big double overtime win last night against McMahon. I don't think there's anybody that we're forgetting. I think everybody, and excuse me, one other thing. Uh, they're not a top 10 team, but a shout out to Law. 11-0, anytime you win at Xavier, is a good win. And they're not a pretender. They can play. I don't know how good they really are as far as the best teams in the SEC, but they're undefeated. And you put whoever you put in front of them, if you win, you win. Um, and Jamie Anderson's done a nice job there. A former alum. Uh, the last time they were good was probably when he played some 30 years ago. So uh, I'm curious how they will do as we go along. And then obviously once they get into the postseason and play one of those heavyweights in the SEC tournament that they don't play during the regular season, we'll see how good they are. But kudos to them. They're 11-0. It's getting Devon excited. And, uh, yeah. and I'm excited as a Stratford guy. I like to see the, the neighboring towns do well. Do you? <laughs> I, I do. Well, as a not about a high school, of course. But uh, I, I do enjoy seeing the Banals do well. Obviously, my album Mount Stratford. I like. I, I enjoy it because I, I covered. I worked at the Milford Citizen, so I covered law and foreign and Lords of Hall extensively for a few years before the paper folded. So I, I those are my roots, and uh, as we all do in this business. So I don't think there's any surprises. And, and, and a shout out to Romogo. Uh, undefeated in the Berkshire League, so, um, so we'll see. I, I'm, I don't think there's any surprise teams coming out of nowhere. But you, come tournament time, there's always one of those lower seeds that do well and have a great run based on a great regular season. So. Well, yeah, we're in the middle when the mid season. Well, first of all, Law at eleven. That's were t- insane. They were ten and ten last year on his first year, and before that, they were dreadful. Four and yeah, I mean, every they, year. Yeah. It's like how many times you got to look at the standings at the end of the year and see loss in there like four and wins, that's why five they have wins. the schedule that they do. But they right. But again, you you cover football. If you can't get people to buy into your system, it doesn't matter how good you are, how much talent you have. They shut you out. They shut you out. And I'm not speaking ill of any bet coaches before that, but obviously it speaks to what Jamie has done for them to buy into what he is doing. And obviously you keep winning and breed success. You lose, it's not the same thing. We're at the midseason, as, as you were mentioning. You know, we're really going to start getting into it. You, know, you saw Simsbury last night beating uh, Middletown on a double overtime and, you know, and with a buzzer beater with yeah, a Middleton- full court. <laughs> was that what it was? And Middletown's struggling this year, and but Simsbury obviously is, is a team that's getting votes and a team that's apparently is a good team every year. So... Right. What I'm saying is basically it's 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 ramping up. It's amping up. It's getting. We're getting there. Yeah. As we once we get to February, when Super Bowl passes, the, I, the I, Christmas uh, the hangover is gone. The yeah. New Year's hangover is gone. You're getting back into school. We had a snowstorm, and now we're starting to heat up a little bit here. It, it seems like. Uh, 
Um, I mean, at, at this midpoint of the season, is there anything that, that just really, other than Notre Dame, I know Notre Dame is, is, was a big one. You the, know, the, the, I mean, as far as, as far as like surprises or anything that just kind of you weren't expecting coming into the year. Well, I guess I told you Newtown. I didn't expect them to be 11-0 and at this point. Uh, I sure as heck didn't think Hammond and Hillhouse would be struggling as yeah, much as they have. Too. I mean, if Hillhouse loses to Hamden on Thursday, they're going to be 6-7. and seven. Um, And Hamden has struggled. Uh, even though they won last night, so I, I those two t- programs, I think, I think they'll be okay. They just may not, they just may not be that very good as we, as we thought. Um, and obviously, Notre Dame a Fairfield, as you mentioned. Um, you know, I, I I would like to see a, somebody challenge Sacred Heart in the MVL. We'll find out. Anybody beaten in there? Nobody. Huh? Well, they're Cro- playing Crosby. They're at Crosby Friday night mm-hmm. against the Last Chance. I mean, Holy Cross is struggling and. I think the Sacred Heart's just that good. So, um, and they probably win, it, win in the NBA for the fifth or sixth straight year, whatever it is. That, that, nothing is really surprising. I mean, Immaculate was supposed to be good. They're Division two champs last year. We knew East Lima and Warnerford were going to be good. They're there. We knew Notre Dame West Haven was going to be good. They're there. And we knew basketball was going to be good. They're there. So, to me, other than the, what we mentioned, no. Nothing is really surprising to me. How about Basic, though? With Basic, a team that lost in the semifinals last year was one of its only two losses. Its other loss was to East Catholic on the road the day after New Year's by 35 if memory serves. And believe me, those guys have not forgotten that game and they host East Catholic on February 1st, Friday. I think that atmosphere is probably going to be insane. I hope I'm going to be there. Um, But, you know, Bernie Loft has done a nice job. Every year they're there. And, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing, and, and I don't see foresee them having a home in a league anytime soon. Yeah. I, I mean, they're Basic and Harding have a home for football in the SEC, but not for any other sports. And I mean, I mean, I'm sure a guy like Bernie, you're pleased because you could go schedule all these teams, but uh, it's well, not good for their other. Sports. Considering you, you look around at the other cities, and even in your first, you start in Bridgeport, you're looking around at the other cities. There yeah. are the city game is they're not they're not other than Basic, I guess, and. The city, like maybe Crosby. You talking about? Just yeah, I, cross, I mean, we want the city teams Hart, are down, but the city teams are really New down. Like Bridgeport, you know, the Central and Harding aren't, aren't, aren't nowhere near the way they used to be. We you were, know, we mentioned with the, uh, the we public's okay, Harvard r- public, yeah. right? Um, and then you go down to the going on to New Haven and and you know Hillhouse, but Hillhouse struggles. You you know you're in a world of hurt. I mean, cross. It's okay. It's okay. Right. Crosby but, is okay. I mean, they're the best team in the city that's not a Catholic school. So, I mean, Stanford, you'll go down Stanford way. The, none of them are really jumping out. Of yeah, the he was, they were supposed to be. I mean, they haven't had a good a year as I th- maybe thought they would. So, yeah, I think the city schools are struggling as far as the publics. But, so, yeah, Bass is carrying the mantle. And uh, can they win Division One? Yeah, they can. Because they're not. Basic is not afraid of anybody. They never have. Never they never been. will be. They will come at you. They beat Wilbur Cross. I'm sorry, that was uh, Central, excuse me, back in the day. But Basic will take on all comers. And like I said, I think you're going to get a good measuring stick with East Catholic comes to Basic on February 1st. That's going to be a measuring stick game to know what what the Division One landscape is really like and who's the favorite. So um, we will... The courtside Joe Morelli. We're taking a break, and we'll be right back with uh, our guest on the Courtside with Joe Morelli podcast. Don't miss a pass, pitch, or putt this season. Sign up for the Whistle newsletter and get the latest news and stories sent straight to your inbox from GameTimeCT.com. 
Welcome back to the Courtside with Joe Morelli podcast. With our special guest today, a local legend from Hamden High School, recently inducted into the UConn Hall of Fame, Southern Connecticut State men's basketball coach Scott Perel. Scott, thank you for joining the show. How are you? Joe, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Good morning to you. Uh, obviously, with a couple of local kids, state kids, and uh, well, CJC Fourth from Hamden, uh, native yep. like yourself, and, and Joey Wallace. How, season any ten, you're right in the midst of what's going on. How you, how are things looking so far? Well, we'll start off a little slow this year. Um, uh, we had a couple injuries beginning of the year. A couple guys weren't with us beginning of the year. Right. Uh, then we hit. We had an eight game winning streak, so things turned around a little bit. But we hit a little cold spell the last three games. We lost three in a row, and uh, we have another one tonight. Trying to we play uh, Franklin Pierce, trying to get off our little snide and uh, get back on the winning track. And but um, one thing about the the Northeast Ten, it's it's a battle every game. And um, you know we're the, we're we're second place on our side of the division. Uh, so any game, any win or loss, it, it, you move up or down. So uh, we're not out of it, and we're in a good spot right now if we finish strong. Um, like you asked, like you said, you, we have a couple local guys. Uh, CJ Seaforth transfer from Iona. Um, just getting used to the D2 game. Um, it, it's The guards are just as tough as D1 and D2. Um, the difference, I think, is the size and the strength of, of the two levels. But uh, it's it's a battle every night for, for CJ, and he's getting used to it. Uh, he's having, he has some great games for us. We just need him to be a little more consistent, and he's going to do that in time. He's young still. So every young guy has to you know learn the, learn the ropes and, and get better every time they step on the court, but he will. Not to age you, Scott. Thirty years ago, it's been that you were, you signed on at UConn. Um, still, the only athlete to be a first round draft pick in both the NBA, Charlotte Hornets at the time, and mm-hmm. also the um, Major League Baseball with the Seattle Mariners as a pitcher. And I, yep. and uh, obviously, you were a great football player as well. Um, does it seem like thirty years? <laughs> and, and, no. And. I, and, and, and can you talk about the landscape, how the game of basketball has changed uh, from in that time since you were recruited, how it's different? Yes, it does seem like 30 years ago because I'm old and my body hurts. So, yes, it does seem like 30 years <laughs> ago. Join the club. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's changed a lot. I mean, recruiting has changed. Uh, kids don't play uh, as many sports as they used to. They, they individualize sports now and just play one at a time and, and, uh, and focus on that all year round. And I'm not sure if that's great, if that's good or it's bad, but I always thought my process, my thought process is if you play more than one sport, you work different muscles, you work different, you work your hand-eye coordination. Um, and it's, I think it's always good to use every sense of, uh, of your body and uh, to, to get better at something. And I, I just think kids might play the same sport too much. They might get burnt out. Um, they might fall out of love with the sport. They might say they love it. But it becomes a job when you do something every day, and and you some and everybody knows you can't wake up every day loving what you want to do. Some days you don't have it, and you I I think kids get burnt out, and uh, they hear the same coaches, the same trainers, they do the same thing. I always think it's great to play more than one sport. Um, recruiting is even different nowadays. Uh, you have AAU, kids go out to huge events and and join teams that they never join kids on teams they'd never met before. So it's totally different that in fashion too. And uh, so I think that part of, of, of recruiting has changed, too, because back then every coach went to their high school coach and, 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 and their practices and, and watched them play. So they got to know the family, the coaches that he's around all the time. So, I mean, things have changed a whole lot. Yeah, you don't see the, the big-time coaches like you used to at all in, in the gyms. I mean, I know I, no. once in a great while you'll see a, a coach 
like a Jamie Dixon go see Mustafa Heron years ago, but you don't see that yeah. anymore. They, they go to the AAU games in the summer circuit, correct? Yeah, yeah more coaches go to the AAU events because you see more kids at one sitting. Um, when you and it saves money number one for recruiting, even though the packets are so expensive when you go to those big events. But uh, besides that, when you go to a high school game, you're just watching one kid, and and it's it's not, it's not a waste of time. But you also see better talent uh, in, in competition at an AU event. So you want to see your recruit that you're watching play against the best talent to see if he competes, see if he's tough enough, see what kind of kid he is, see how he is with his with his teammates. Um, is, is he a good kid? Is he is he a leader? You look at all that stuff when uh, you know in, in the battle of competition. Yeah, I was just gonna. You actually kind of answered my question, but I'll ask again. What does Scott Burrell look for? Now you're in your fourth year. Uh, recruit. What are you looking for in kids? This, what? How can they help build my program to where I want it to be? It's a hard, it's a hard, hard thing. Um, because you don't have the resource to go see the kid every day, or you just try your best to find out as much as you can in the little short amount of time. Um, you want to first of all, you want to look at a kid who's tough mentally and physically. Uh, a kid who competes. You've got to recruit self-motivated kids. I think today's day, today, in today's day, uh, um, kids, a lot of kids aren't self-motivated. They need people to push them. They need something to push them. If you're not self-motivated, I can't make. I can make you better, but I, I can't make you a better, more, more competitive or a tougher kid. That has to come within. Um, I can teach you every skill in the book, but if you don't want to get on the court and do it, we're fighting each other and we're battling each other, and it's, it's not going to work. It's a, it's a give and take. Um, you got to find kids that that are leaders that that want to do well in school. Kids that do well in school, a lot of times they're going to do well on the court too. They want to do well on the court. Um, you want kids that have goals and want to be successful, realistic goals and realistic, and, and they'll be successful. Um, it, it's it's a bunch of things, but I would say leadership, hard work, self motivation, and, and toughness is, is is some of the things you you look for in, in recruiting. Because kids, if you get one, if, if a kid has all those. Uh, intangibles. You're, he's gonna. You can make him better. You can make him better on the court if, if you teach him and, and put him through the right workouts. Scott, uh, you you were talking about how um, you know being a three sport. I, being a three sport athlete is you know pro probably a good way to, to go here. And I see a lot of coaches like out there, like guys really advocating for that. But it, it seems like it's kind of like a losing battle. You know, what, what's the? How do you break that? I mean, is there any way? Is there, or are we just gonna be? Mostly a you know one sport uh, uh, youth uh, for, forever. I think it, it's it's where kids grow up to. I mean, like in my neighborhood, I grew up. Everybody played different sports, so I mean it's it's tough. I mean, if a kid grows up when everybody around him plays basketball, he's just gonna play basketball. If he grows up where people play basketball during basketball season, baseball during baseball season, you know, it's it's easy for him to get involved with other sports. But a basketball is easy to play. A basketball is easy to play. You can have a basketball, you find a hoop. And you can go do it with a basketball. You can work on your ball handling. Um, work. You find a wall with a basketball. You can work on your passing. So there's so many things that keep kids that work on just their individual sport, which is not a bad thing, as long as he's working on his game. But I think more motor skills and 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 different muscles are being used in other sports. So it's it helps you become a better athlete. I think. Scott Burrell, Southern Connecticut men's basketball coach, joining us on the courtside with Joe Burrelli podcast. Uh, Scott. Uh, I covered yes. uh, yeah, Hamden Hall <laughs> in uh, St. Luke's yesterday. Great game. Uh, two programs I'm sure you're familiar with, but the in where I'm going with this is uh, two of the stars of the St. Luke's side were uh, Gavin Green, who transferred in from St. Joe's, 
Chuck mm-hmm. Clemens, Charles Ch- Clemens kid who transferred in from um, Notre Dame Fairfield. He didn't play at all. He was injured last year, but he still transferred in. Obviously helped them win. He, on, the yep. Hill, on the Hammond Hall side, you have the two Hill House, former Hill House players and Trey Breland and, and Christian mm-hmm. Adams, and you got the kid from Xavier and Jackson Benigny. So where I'm going with this, obviously 30 years ago, w- prep schools, it, was like, it wasn't even the thought. It was a CIAC, and that was it, and that's where they recruited, as we discussed. How has yep. preps changed the game, and do you ever – kind of going on what Sean Bowley said, the, the, do you ever see it reversing where kids are going to go back, or is it just – and until the CIC changes some its archaic rules, yeah. that are antiquated rules, excuse me, that they may not, it's prep schools are going to rule. Yeah, I think prep schools are when it's easier to recruit. I mean, they they get a bunch of talented kids. Kids go to school, go to class, but they play basketball longer amounts of time. They practice earlier than high school practice does in Connecticut. There's a shot clock for most games. Um, yes, and the talent level is better. I, I think. You know, in high school basketball in Connecticut, they need to change the rules. I think coaches need a little more time with their players uh, in preseason or maybe even the summer. Uh, it doesn't have to be long. I'm not saying you have to be with them every day. It could be two days a week in the preseason. Because um, they're going to say, well, the kid needs to be a student first. Well, yeah, but if a kid has goals in life, he's going to be a student and a basketball player. And that's not asking a lot of them. It's just give them one more responsibility in life. Um, at the same time, I think some of the rules need to change, uh, like like shot clock. You go to a high school game. Me and you went to a high school game one time a couple years ago, Xavier against, I think it was uh, Hill House. Yep. And we saw, uh, it was a Hill House, I think, held the ball for six minutes. Four quarters. I mean, it, it, yeah, for a whole quarter. That's and, and that's not what people wanted to go see. Um, there's no coaching involved. There's no skill involved. It's just people watching someone hold the ball for six minutes. I think it just – I think a lot of rules have to change to, to make the, the high school basketball in Connecticut better so kids don't want to go to prep school where there's more talent because everybody's leaving to go to these prep schools, like you said. It's, um, and it's also private schools and prep schools. And it's also tough because the other surrounding states, they're all they're all using the NCAA rules. You know, so they're, they're, true. I mean, yeah, you go to New York, Boston, uh, shot clock. Even uh, Rhode Island, coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and, this, and it shows the better – it's a better game. It's a better game. I can't say they're more talented, but it's a there's more talent at the high school level than it is in Connecticut because kids won't, aren't uh, ready to leave readily to leave to go to a prep school or or um, a private school. I guess what happens is Connecticut uh, they don't want to give up like like voting rights in the NFHS stuff and um, and and you know and I guess the overall. NFHS thing is who's going to pay for this thing? But I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I I suppose if you can pay the ref, you can add another twenty bucks. I know schools are strapped across the country, and yeah, you know that that yeah. can be that can be a concern. But you know, I don't know. At least in Connecticut, we used to. Well, actually, the the head of the NFHS now is now a Connecticut uh, uh, person. It would be Carissa Niehoff. She actually runs the whole thing now. But I guess maybe mm-hmm. you have to like. <laughs> Maybe you know, maybe it's a discussion to have with the uh, NFHS. Uh, I mean, yeah, but oh, hey, I don't, I'm I don't, not throwing any names out there. Yeah. I don't know who runs it. <laughs> that was you guys just threw names out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But no, I don't. I mean, somebody like you said, it has to do. Maybe it has to do with money. I mean, you have to buy a shot clock. You have to buy pay someone to run, run the shot clock. Maybe schools don't have the extra extra money for that. But I mean, if that's the issue, then I'm not going to fight it. But if they do have the money, if they want to make the game better, that's what they need. Things like that. That's what they need to do to keep kids at state uh, high schools in Connecticut and and not have them run to uh, a more talented prep school where it's better competition. 
Here's the thing I was wondering. Um, you know, you, you talk about the, you know, what what are kids these days? Uh, what do they look for? Or what? How do you, you know, do they all come in thinking that they're gonna go like on and and, and become this like you know great pro or something like? Do is that what the type of kids these days? What are they? You know, is that what they're they, oh. they think they're looking for? Or I mean, how do you kind of sell them on? You know, uh, you know, a program like yours, which is a D two, which is a pretty good program. How, how do you sell them on something like that? Do they? Think well, number one, every kid to recruit, you're gonna tell them you're gonna graduate in four years from our school. Um, but you do, uh, you do like encourage the kids to have goals, and but you want them to be realistic. And if a kid's averaging six points a game at Division two or Division one, not saying he's not gonna make the pros, but most likely he's not. So you need the education to fall back on. Now, if you're a special kid and you're doing great at Division Two, you obviously can make the pros, NBA or overseas. But you got to be special. The people don't understand there's a big world out there. They don't understand there's a big world that everyone plays basketball right. all across the world, and everybody is seen by video, by uh, in person. So you're all being seen, and everybody's grading you. And every time you play a game or every time you practice, and if you're not excelling more than other people, you're going to get left behind. And for those who do get left behind, there's nothing wrong with that because there's always someone better than you. Just make sure you get an education. But for those that think they're going to make it and don't put the work in, you have another thing coming because, like I said, people are hungry and need a job in life. And sometimes basketball is their only way out, and they, they strive to be the best player, compete like it's their last game every time they step on the court. And some kids don't understand that. Some guys, some people need this job to live. Right. Not because they love it; they needed to live, and they love it. Most people, right? You know, I, that, yeah. that, that's fascinating to me. That I mean, because like what, like ninety nine percent of kids who are going even to get to the college level, no matter what what level you're in in college, they're not they're not going to go pro. I mean, they might you know you have a very very small small. I know, mm -hmm. I know kids got dreams and stuff. You want to try and balance that. You don't want to squelch a kid's dreams, but you know, how do you keep them you know kind of grounded and realize like, look. This is the most important thing you can do by going to a college and getting a degree mm -hmm. because that'll set you up no matter what happens to your professional career or whatever your 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 your, uh, your sports career. This yep. is the most important. I mean, how, how, is it a struggle to get them to? I mean, because they're kids, right? Yeah, it's, that's not a struggle. You know, like I said, most kids are are motivated and understand that the why they go to college is and it's for a degree. You just, I mean, you might have a few every now and then that don't understand it, but later in life they they realize, wow, I you know I finished my four years, I don't have a degree, I need to get my degree to get a job, um, or to to even get myself. If you want to, for instance, for coaching, I had to go back to school twenty years later to get my finish my degree because I left early because of uh, I had to work out with a lot of NBA teams right before the draft, right. so I had to withdraw from college. And I went back twenty years later in two thousand ten, I got my degree, and. I was able to co get a head coaching job. Kids don't understand. It's something, like, and this is something I love to do. You got to finish what you start. Number one, number two, you need a degree for most jobs in this world, and uh, it doesn't. And most people don't get a job in what they went to school for, but you still need that degree. And for me, as a coach, I can't coach kids and tell them what to do. Go to school, do this, do that. If I didn't have my degree, I would feel wrong. It, it would be wrong, and you know, it made me feel much better going back twenty years later and finally getting my degree. Scott Burrell joining us on the podcast. Um, the man who authored the the pass in yep. the dream season. Um, and we all talk about Tate George that made the shot, but without the pass, the former quarterback from Hamilton High School, we don't, we're not, 
we're, we're, we, don't, we don't know who happens against Clemson. Do you do you remember? Can you walk us through that play? And do you remember like it happened yesterday? And is there a day that goes by where it's not brought up? Uh, it, it's it is brought up a lot. I would say once at least once a week. I would say. And, and <laughs> oh my god! It's, it's, but it used to be more yeah, often, it right? It used to be more often. Well, yeah, it used to be more often. But you know, the young generation they don't know anything about it. So it's, oh, that's right. The older generation, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like the younger generation generation doesn't even know who Michael Jordan is, so we are not gonna know my, oh that, my God. That, that's so, ridiculous. I yeah. want, Please I, don't I, say I, that. I can't Scott. I can't even fathom that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it is, it's true. Um but uh it's it, it was I, I remember more the sad part of it, I remember more remember remember more of the Duke game when Two days later. we blew the lead, we had the lead and we had a chance to go to the final four than I do the Clemson. Obviously because we won the Clemson game, so but it was it was just a crazy scenario and we're up by 20, 18 points i think at one point little by little that lead got diminished and next thing you know they're, they're they take the lead with a second left and luckily we had uh one second coach drew up a play and uh, i found tate opening in the corner um and he tate did a great job walling off his guy and gave me one little corner to throw to and uh and i threw it to that corner and uh tate turned and, and made it that was it was Unbelievable shot, but the saddest part about it, the next game it happened back. Uh, oh, same God, thing happened yeah. to us against, against Duke. Yeah. I remember that so well. Christian Leighton with the inbounds pass and went right back to him. And I think everybody realized it, but it, either, I think Coach Calhoun, if I remember correctly, realized it was going to happen. And then by then it was too late. He's banked it in. And, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was crazy. I mean, it happened so fast. I mean, then you just think about well, if Tate caught the ball or knocked the ball and bounced, the ball right. bounced and bounced two, two, one, one more time. Clock runs out, and and we win the game. But it was it was it was crazy though how it happened. That crazy. was when everybody in, in the state was a UConn fan, even myself. Even the- oh, <laughs> the, the place, the state was electric. Like, every game was electric. The state was electric. Every house you drove by had a UConn flag on it. Everywhere you went, it was like it was awesome back in those days. Well, yeah, here's a story I I because I was able to, again I was a freshman the same year Scott was, um, and I, you were able to buy season tickets, and I did. Um, I was on campus that night. I was at the student newspaper, and the place we went out driving. There were bon- Scott. I'm sure you probably heard the story. There were bonfires everywhere. The place was absolutely yeah. insane. I, I heard it was a huge party. And, and 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 Joe, I'm sure you weren't at the student library. I'm sure. No, you I, 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 no. Here's a true story. I, I was at the student. I was at the student newspaper. It was a Thursday night, so no, everybody was out partying. And it was a Thursday night. I remember how it was back then. It was a little bit different back then, but no. Then the next year. After they uh-huh. went through this, you had a, there was a lottery system for students. You couldn't just go buy tickets. I was like, what do you mean a lottery system? I bought tickets last year. It didn't matter. And that's when you knew UConn had gotten big. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and interestingly, your former coach is back coaching at St. Joe's. A, are you surprised? B, have you talked to him? And C, how do you think he's doing uh, coaching these young kids like you are? Uh, one, I'm not surprised. He has the fire to be out there to coach, to right. teach, to lead, and and just uh, and just being in the fire, the thick of things. He loves that, and um, uh, he, he's back doing what he, what he loves to do. I mean, he's not the type of guy that wants to sit home and and watch and watch games. He wants to be part of it. And no, I'm not surprised he's out there coaching. Uh, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Um, they were doing well when he passed. I think he passed Dean Smith a few weeks ago, uh, oh. like a month ago, right. and wins. Yeah, so right. I congratulate him with that. I, it was Dean Smith or. Or someone else, I called him and congratulated him. I forgot who it was, but right. you know he's doing well. I mean, he's enjoying it. Um, I'm not sure how long he'll do it, but I'm happy he's, he's doing what he loves to do. Um, it, it, it keeps him young, it keeps his mind off a lot of things, and uh, if as long as he enjoys it, 
keep doing it, coach. What what made him uh, what made him such a great great coach, Scott? Well, what did he do for you at least as far as you know motivating you and, and making you into the player you, you became? Just bring us bring every young kid to another level of co- compete competing. Um, you always think you're competing in high school, but most kids are you're at UConn because you're probably the best player in your team or one of the best players around. So, but when you go to college, you're just another piece to a puzzle and. To get better, you got you better learn how to compete. You better learn how to work on your game, um, and never be satisfied. And he pushed us every day uh, to be better, to be better, to never get tired, to outwork your opponents. Um, I, I don't think when I got there we had the best talent, but I think coach, we bought into coach's uh, um, his beliefs that as long as we worked hard and we were all on the same page and competed, we would out compete everyone and beat everyone, which we did. Um, and that, I think that led to them uh, getting even better recruits after while we were there and after we left. I mean, they started getting All-Americans. And um, back in the day, UConn never got All-Americans. But after, you know, after a couple of great years at, at UConn, coach started getting um, getting better recruits, high, high, higher level and higher rated recruits, I would say. Yeah, we're sitting here talking about, like, the old days and, you know, the Big East and all that stuff. And it just when you look at, yeah. it, at it now, I, I know it's so different, you know, conference realignment. Football's kind of ruined the whole thing. Um mm. You know, and I'm sure, you know, Hurley's going to do a, a really nice job there. I know they're struggling now, but, you know, you look at where, you know, what's going on with, with, with UConn. They're, they're in a conference that nobody likes. They want to go yeah. back to the old, but, you know, do you mm-hmm. see this thing? This you see this thing turning around for the, the maybe not just the basketball program, but the school in general? I mean, yeah, you got the, the women, and they're doing great, and they're always going to do great as long as Gino's there. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. what, what do you think of the whole, you know, situation right now? I mean, I, they just, what it was, they were like operating at a deficit, like a $40 million deficit, the athletic department. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. I, I, but I also think, you know, when basketball starts winning, it creates a buzz. And a buzz is always good, a yeah. positive buzz. And Danny's going to start winning eventually. Um, uh, they're playing better now. They're playing harder. They're playing tougher. Um, they'll, they'll start winning in the end of this year, next year. And uh, when a buzz comes, it helps football. It helps enrollment. It helps, it helps everything. And, uh, I think UConn will get back to where they were, both football and basketball. Football and basketball. Um, they need like to get said, out of that Coach league, has a role in, Still has a role in, but, you know, it's tough to recruit kids that want to be on TV yeah. every night and be in the mainstream TV every night. And back when they are in the Big East, that's what they had. So, But they'll, they'll turn around. They'll be the, the top dog in this conference, and they'll get recruits again. They got to get out of the league, though. I don't know what that I don't know what the answer is there. <laughs> That yeah, but league. at the same time, if you dominate your league, like Gonzaga's not trying to get out that league, and they dominate that league. Right. Um, it's it's just when you start winning and you get the top recruits, um, and which Coach is going to start doing pretty soon, you you just dominate the conference, and everybody want to go there, and you're still one of the top dogs in the country. I mean, nobody thought Gonzaga would be top five in the country every year after you know the conference they're in. Um, so. It can happen. Just got to get back on top and, and run the conference. There have been some great coaches in, in that league. Well, Petty Hardaway, we're going to find out. You got Johnny Dawkins. You got some great former players and Danny Hurley. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's one thing. AC, in football, too, that league has done well in football. But, yeah, it's not the ACC. It's not the it's not the Power Five. And I think that's what Sean's getting at. Right. Um, Scott Burrell. Yeah. 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 Scott Burrell joining us. He mentioned Michael Jordan. The reason right. why he knows Michael Jordan. He played with Michael Jordan 20-some-odd years ago. And I, I don't know where the NBA ring is, Scott, that you won with the um, the number six for Michael Jordan and with the 98 Chicago Bulls. Uh, what was it like that championship year 
the competition and they say Michael Jordan was even bigger competitor than as a player in what driving. Yeah, it didn't matter. Like tiddlywinks, yeah, he would go nuts. Just yeah. what was it like <laughs> trying playing and, and and competing against him and and with all those characters on that team and winning that final ring? I, I you know number one playing with him is, is probably the hardest thing I had to do because I had to face him every day in practice. You know, the first unit <laughs> against the second unit, right? And th- there's not a day where he didn't push you to be better. Not a day where he wanted you to push him to be better. Uh, so it's every day was like a game. Every day was like a war. Every day was trash talking, battles. Yeah. Um, and, and But after practice was over, you know, there was love on both ends. But every day it was a it was tough. Tough, I, I put it that way. Tough is a good word to put it. Um, but, you know, you learn so much. You learn how to be a competitor. You learn how to win. You learn how to be – you learn how – what made – what drip, what was – the, the driving force to making him great and and it rubs off on everyone uh there's no days that people can there's not a day where people came to practice saying oh i'm not in the mood to practice today you better be in the mood to practice to get better to make this team win and that's all all those three hall of famers wanted uh, scotty michael dennis um it, it was a veteran team that had one goal without to win championships um and we still talk today. We every summer we get together, play golf a little bit. I go down to Florida, um, but it's just it, it's a great relationship that that you know I call him and if I need something, he'll help me with it and give me advice or information. But uh, he's a great guy, and I learned so much playing that year with him. So I guess I guess that means you're a LeBron guy, right, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think LeBron's a great player, but I think the game today. I, well, first of all, I think Michael's better, um, way better. There but you I go. think You're LeBron is first. special. Yeah. But I think I today's game is totally different, with for many reasons. I mean, the guys get everything they want to be great and everything they need. They don't play back to backs anymore. Back in the day, sometimes we played three games in a row. Um, yeah. it, it's it's the practice hours have been cut back. Uh, the game's less physical. The game's a lot younger, so you have so many young guys on the court. So if you're an older vet, young guys don't know the ins and outs of the game yet. So I mean, there's so many reasons why. I think, well, my opinion, the game was better, tougher, and, and and more fun to watch than it is now. I mean, you got some great stars playing now, but uh, um, I don't know how good they would have been back in the day. Is def- playing against some of the tough guys? Is yeah, I can say is defense. I mean, just completely not even in the game with all these high scoring games, and, and I mean, obviously, Golden State is tremendous, but it, yeah. mean, you see him scoring a hundred and something points, and it's. I mean, that was when it was back, like, in the 70s. There was, like, that open game, and that kind of thing. If I remember seeing a lot of those scores. But it seems like it changed during your era in the 80s and 90s with the Pistons and the Knicks and mm-hmm. and, and so on. Yeah, and, I mean, it, it became more physical. It became, a, 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 I need to stop you instead of you score on me, I smile. You score, I score on you, I smile. Um, it, it's, it's, I, I try to stop you, whatever it took. Hard fouls. Um, you know, uh, locking you up on defense, uh, trapping ball screens, uh, whatever it took, we wanted to stop the best players from scoring. Uh, it seems like in this era, it's try to outscore your opponent. Um, so it's different. I mean, some fans like it, some fans don't. It's it's you know, everybody has their own opinion on the game today. Yeah, I was reading a, or watching a video that like SB Nation did, and and they were showing like where how, how the game now is played either right beneath the basket or on beyond the three point line. I mean, the the mm-hmm. mid range game is completely van- like you're just looking at shot percentages. The further you go out, even when you get to the three point line. You, the shot percentages aren't don't fall off that much. So so why take a you know 
you know, why why not take a three pointer if if because it looks it looks cool to shoot from far away. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not cool to shoot a layup. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's it's. I think the game is glamor is, is glam, uh, glamorized, a uh, glorified. The dunk is it's glorified, all... and the three point line is is glorified. I I think the mid range game people are like it's just two points. It's a mid range shot. No, it's, that's just part of the game that every person should have. It's all three levels of the game, and I'm not saying I had it. Because I was a three-point shooter or a dunker, <laughs> but you know, it's it's. I mean, the guys are so skilled now. I mean, it should be all part of the game. But it's 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 analytics now, analytics now, and um, people. That's what people look for, and uh, people use to 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 make the make the game better or, or make teams better. Should we ban three-point shot? <laughs> should we try? Yeah, I, I wish they. You know, since they don't play back to backs, how about every other game they can't shoot threes? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, or every other every other quarter they can shoot a three. Scott, where is where is your <laughs> NBA ring? Uh, it's in a good safe place. Good safe place. I wear it every now and then, but good safe place. When was the last? If time I tell you, you, Joe. Yeah. If I tell you, Joe, you're gonna go take it. <laughs> hey, you know, you know. Well, I would say that Scott let me borrow it. Um, <laughs> Scott, when was the last time you dunked? <laughs> That's funny. Um, not in a while. I'm so afraid to hurt myself. I can still dunk. But I'm so afraid to hurt myself. Yeah. <laughs> coming coming down. <laughs> we didn't mention Phil Jackson, but if I remember correctly, he used to give guys books to read. What books did he give you and did you read them? Oh, you know what? I cannot remember the book he gave us. Um oh man, I cannot remember. But uh I read part of it. I did read part of it. Um <laughs> uh. but I, Phil was a great coach because Phil you didn't just play basketball. He, he was a guy that made you meditate. You used your mind on the right. court. You used your mind off the court. Uh, he treated you like a, an adult. Um, you knew you better be ready for practice. You knew you better get better. You know you better learn the system if you want to play. But he, he respected everyone the same, and uh, he pushed everyone. Pushed everyone. And, you know, um, he let, people think, you know, Michael was the coach of the team. Michael was the, the, the energy, maybe the, the fair factor, the field coach of the team. And, People led, even Michael, you know, followed Phil's directions and all those guys followed it. But Phil and they had a great relationship and, and it made a great team work. Phil and Michael and, those, and their relationship. And it's interesting that you've become a coach, Steve Kerr. Who would have mm -hmm. thought that you just luck, I mean, you choose between the Knicks. You, you, you kind of, you have a chance between the Knicks and the Warriors, your former coach. And you said, no, nah, I'm going to go to the Warriors. And it's amazing how a decision can change your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> If he if he was in New York, I think he'd be. There'd still he be wouldn't be there. Coach, he would but, still be there, coach. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he walked into a great situation, but he made him better. Um, and he understands the game. Uh, when you have a talented group like that, and and more, you, every year you get another talented player, you know you're only going to get better. Um, and one thing about that team, they 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 learn from a great coach, and they all push each other. I, I went I went went to watch him work out last preseason. And I watched him practice, and uh, it was so it was fun to watch how hard Steph, Clay, and and Kevin Durant worked on their individual games after practice. Everything was game speed. Every shot they take in the game, I saw them work on twenty times. They probably took maybe five hundred or thousand shots after practice, but everything was game speed. Not joking around. Not not you know, not taking it not not taking it serious. Everything was full speed game like, and that's what you try to teach kids. If you're gonna take shots. And working the game, it has to be game like because your adrenaline's flowing in the game. You're excited, you're tired. But if you take shots half speed, nothing like that represents uh, is, is like that in the game. 
So you got to put yourself in that situation like it's a game-like situation. And it's fun to watch those guys do it. Scott, um, it reminded me of a question. Um, and I always mm-hmm. go back to Hill House, and having covered this high school ball here for almost 20 years at the Register, New Haven Register, mm-hmm. um, I, always, I can't tell you how many times people say, well, it's easy for us because they have the talent and they just roll the ball out and play and don't run any plays. But to me, I, I would always say answer like this. If they don't buy into what you're saying, they will tune mm-hmm. you out. As a coach now who's played at the highest level, what is it? Explain to people if they tune you out, it doesn't matter. Like the NBA, if they tune you out, you're going to be gone. So what? what is that like? Explain to people that you just don't roll the ball out and play, that you got to buy into your system and what you're doing. You got to have kids that buy in. You have to have kids that, like I said, are motivated to winning, that have work ethic. You're going to have some kids who are unhappy. And kids that are unhappy are going to spread negativity, spread bad body language, spread bad vibes. You just can't have too many of those kids. And when you do see it, you talk to the kid about his energy, his body language. And if he doesn't change it, you have to get rid of him. You have to because it's, it's going to spread negativity, uh, bad vibes, and, and nothing positive comes from that. And uh, if your team doesn't have ener- uh, positive energy and buy into what you're doing as a group and as a whole, and, and it, it's easy when you're winning, but when you're losing – you're going to have that steep end. But you still need your team to have great chemistry and buy into what you're doing. It's a fine line, though, of being a, do- a coach and a psychiatrist um, or a psychologist. <laughs> right. It's scary. Cause, cause wow. It's crazy nowadays that how much mental stuff you have to worry about uh, talking to the kids, make sure they're happy, but at the same time not basically hitting their butt. I mean, you still got to do your job is to win games and coach them and not let, let them do what they want to do. And it's a fine line between coaching and being a psychologist. <laughs> That's the truth. That's Scott Burrell uh, joining us on the podcast. Scott, uh, we want to thank you really, thank you for your time today. Uh, we enjoyed. I'm not done. I want to stay on for more. For yeah. a long well, time. Oh wait, wait, wait. if up. you want to talk, boy, what do you want to talk about? Go ahead. Uh, we want to talk about something today. Yeah, can, you want to talk about the landscape? Let's talk can... about. Let's talk about the NFL. How come everybody's complaining about the calls and all this stuff? What do you guys think? I oh, think geez. it was a brutal call, but I also seem to think that. You you had a, New Orleans also had a couple more chances to win and they had the ball yes. first and you know what the guy made a great play and he knocked the ball up the air and he intercepted it now was I rooting for New Orleans yes but the Rams went down mm-hmm. and scored do I listen it yeah. was a brutal call I mean that was there, a brutal there are brutal, brutal calls. That, that will go down as the worst call in NFL history one of the worst listen, top you know five what? listen how come I, no one ever talking about them running the ball on first I mean throwing the ball on first down stopping the clock. yeah that was terrible so they threw an incomplete pass which stopped the clock. Then they threw another. Um, then they had to throw a pass, uh, ran the ball, and they ran the ball, didn't get any yards. Then they threw it in the stop o'clock. So they really should have been 25, 30 seconds on the clock or a minute left when they kicked that field goal. Right. But no one's talking about the, that that call when well, they ran the ball. How about, how about, ball how about what was it, the New Orleans mayor or the governor of, the, of Louisiana? Where they're going to sue the NFL? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Look, yeah, I, but crazy. listen, listen. You're, Jim Calhoun was as big a referee bitter as there ever was. But the thing about it yeah. is, he expected a lot, uh, and he expects you to do your job, and that's what you expect yeah. out of these guys to do their job. They're getting paid well. It, it's not. It's, yeah. a, it's a bang bang play. You, but the difference is now you've got replay, and there's got to be a way to uh, to 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 write in an egregious error like that. That's the problem. But but at the same time, there's there's offensive pass interference every play. That's never a call. There's penalties in every play. And the defenders are as, as, as helpless on the island out there every play with the best athletes, the fastest athletes, knowing where they're going to go. And so the defense right. back has to guess. 
they're going to be con- there's going to be contact. But definitely that was offensive. Pa- that was defensive pass interference. Well, he knew but he was think- beat. You can't. You just can't have instant replay on passing the fan. No, no, right. you, that that's it's such yeah. a judgment call. But like yeah. he knew he was beat, and he was just like, "Might as well," because he's going to yeah. score if I don't. <laughs> and and, and it worked. Had to helmet to helmet, which is crazy too. That was the worst. To me, yeah. that was he could have. They could have called like six penalties on that play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, yeah. what 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 did you grow up a fan of? What NFL team? Uh, you know, I really I just like watching great games. I mean, yeah. Giants, Jets, because they, they were closest. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I didn't never like the Patriots, but you just got to respect them. Those guys are like machines. It's unbelievable. Like no one thought they were that good this year, but they're still going to Super Bowl, and they're like twelve and four again, like they are every year. Yeah. And, and they go to Super Bowl every year. It's it's unbelievable people, how good they are and their organization is. People were comparing, or they were at, what what was what was more intolerable: this run by the Patriots or the run by the Bulls. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? You saw it I firsthand. Think, you know, like, every yeah. everybody hate like, you you respected the hell out of Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you had to. respect them. He commanded they're prepared. They're prepared every game. Their game plan changes. I mean, it's – they make the biggest catches every game. Yeah. Every game. Edelman and, and those other receivers make huge plays when they need to. They don't drop passes. They don't do dumb things to, to hurt themselves. They're mentally tough. They're fundamentally sound, um, and they're, and they're talented. And when you get those all in one package, you're a tough team to beat. Yeah, it's like the Bulls. You know, it's yeah. like you. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just everyone. But you can tell everyone's sick of them. They're so sick. They're yeah. gonna be writing stories about this team, this program. Or program. It, it, it actually but, reminds me of a story since we're talking about stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sure you played against him. He was a coach, Bob Salisbury. And I know you know him yeah. very well, and obviously there, there's been a big push here to try to get him into the uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. What kind of mm-hmm. – for those who don't know, and again, these kids don't know who Bob Salisbury, they see a great-looking 89-year-old man comes to games. What was he like as a coach, and what was that program like to go against in Maurice Williamson oh. back in the day? The, he had talent, and those guys loved to play for him, loved to play for him. And they all come back to see him when he's around. Um he just you knew that you were in for a battle. You knew first of all they were gonna be great. They all teams are great. Yeah. Um you knew you were for a tough battle mentally, physically. They're skilled. Um and for, for the whole entire game they were coming at you. Um pressing. Uh they had shot blockers, they had scores. It was, it was fun. I mean, like like even that situation, cross has changed as their talent level uh, sure. from back in the day and the size of kids and the competitiveness. It just uh, it's amazing how the talent level in New Haven, that like Hill House was awesome. I never played against Lee because they were gone when I got there. Right. But Hill House was awesome back in the day. My freshman year, I think they were like four in the country. Theron Mays and Chico Jeter, um, Brockenberry. I mean, they were just awesome, awesome, awesome. But it was fun to play those guys because they, they, they got the best out of you and that you learned. Well, did you have a relationship with uh, Coach Salisbury after the fact? I did, yeah, 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 I did, yep. I mean, great guy. I mean, I, I still see him at the cleaners all the time. And um, it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it's yeah, we talk basketball. Um, it's 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 fun. It's 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 always great. Always great. Well, Scott, listen, I, I could go. Well, you and I could go on forever. And Sean, we could just go. I mean, we're all old school guys, but we, in a new school world. But listen, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Good luck with Southern Connecticut State in the Owls. Um, in the midst thank of the you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Joe. All right, you take Thanks, care coach. of yourself. But, thank you. But I forgot to tell you, after yeah. the first fifteen minutes, I charged twenty dollars an hour. 
Well, you know, Sean, you know, like Sean minutes, makes. Well, Sean's uh, you'll be getting a bill. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll that's expense okay. It. I, I I will expense it, and uh, you know, <laughs> it was well worth it for the listeners. What's this Burrell item here? Yeah. Twenty. <laughs> Capitalism. That's yeah. right. All right, Scott. Thank you very much. Thanks, no guys. problem, guys. I'll see you guys. Right, bye bye. Bye bye. You know, Sean Scott Burrell. Amazing. And I I didn't know him at UConn. I covered Legend. him. I mean, I, but I got to know him the last decade or so. Um, and he's an incredible person. He's a family man. He wouldn't even talk getting to Sam Burrell, his father. He's, he's right. mentored this the community and Walter Camp and Hamden Fathers and and obviously he has good genes. His brother played football at UConn. Um, Abbott, if I'm not mistaken, he was a tri captain. Wow. And back, I think he was a little older. And he's a great person. Obviously, he, he's he's become a coach, and uh, obviously, he's still an icon in this area. Yeah, I mean, listen, I live in Hamden, and you know, when when I go around town, I meet the the gas station attendant, and I you know talk to people, and they know what I do, and then they want to start talking about Hamden sports. I mean, usually it starts with Scott Burrell. I mean, thirty you know, years later, thirty years later, uh, yeah. you know. He, yeah, he's in that that range now where it's still in the memory of a lot of people, and you know, people. He was just he just you know three sports star: baseball, football, basketball. You know, helped UConn become the juggernaut that you know, kind of kickstarted that yeah, whole thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, I remember watching the the the, the Clemson game. And well, they all went, they became legends. And then I, I was on that whole bandwagon through the Duke game, and you know it. Uh, and it's good to see him come back and 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 you know coaching, you know coaching some of this some of the local kids at the, at Southern Connecticut State. And I mean, just a great, great. I mean, he's been all the experience. Imagine, imagine being on a first name base with Michael Jordan going out golf. Hey, we're gonna go golfing. I mean, that's, that's a, tremendous. He knows Ahmad Rashad. He plays golf with yeah. him all the time. He won't talk about that. But you know, again, being on, I didn't appreciate that. I'm the same age as Scott. We're both 47, 48, and I was on campus that night. And as I said in the podcast, and it was just an amazing thing. And I didn't really appreciate what they were doing because I didn't understand. Mm-hmm what it was like in the old Big East when they were in also ran and they were bums. And, and this is before Jim Calhoun got there. Right. Calhoun and, got there in 86. 86 yeah. And he replaced, I believe, Don Perno. And, and the thing about it, he they, what they what was able, what they were able to do, and I'm going to bring up Mike Francesa from WFAN. He said two of the greatest building jobs of all time were uh, Bill Snyder at Kansas State football and what Jim Calhoun did at UConn. Because who would have thought that they'd be relevant if you grew up in the 70s even though they had great talent they but they were it was not a national program and those guys Scott Burrell and Chris Smith and and Tate George made it into a national program and and he will never be forgotten in the Lord like I said to start the the podcast he he's in the Husky Hall of Fame and uh, as as he should be yeah you know it's amazing it's amazing it's 30 years now it's just it's mind-boggling it is mind-boggling, and it's interesting to see him, you know, say, like, it's just it's different. You know, the kids are different. They don't know, you know, none of these kids saw Michael Jordan play. None of them. They see him on YouTube. I mean, right, that's listen, it. But we didn't see Bill Russell. But Right, uh, right, that's what I'm saying. We're, but, we're now in that age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, I, people didn't see these guys play. But for those who didn't see Scott Perrell, he was, I mean, I, I, I didn't see him at Hamlet High School, but, I, I, again, I, I was fortunate enough to cover him at UConn. He was a captain his senior year. I mean, he was a great player for the Charlotte Hornets. And, again, he played with Michael Jordan. I mean, he got to win an NBA ring. And yeah. uh, and obviously we'll never know what kind of baseball player he would have been because yeah, I think he uh, 
was drafted again by the Toronto Blue Jays, I want to say, mm. again, after after college. and uh, But obviously he made the right choice, and he's a pretty good golfer too. He's a very good stick. Uh, in fact, I think he's a single-digit handicapper, and he hits the ball a long way. So, yeah, uh, But anyway. Got to get uh, his in- insight on the Yeah, I, I think he understands the landscape from a different perspective than the coaches do. Uh, it was yeah. nice to get a guest that had that different perspective. But anyway, for sure, I'm Patrick Bowley. This is Joe Morelli for the Courtside Joe Morelli Podcast. We'll see you next week.